This morning we continue in the Gospel of John, and we are in chapter 12 of the Gospel. And chapter 12 gives us the last public moments of Jesus' ministry before he is arrested and executed. And so in chapters 13 through 17, we are going to see that those chapters are all spent between Jesus and his disciples and closest followers as he is teaching them and preparing them for his coming death. And so chapter 12 is really the last public moments of Jesus before he's arrested. And it's fitting that in chapter 12, John shows us wide reactions to Jesus. That some people were drawn to Jesus, intrigued by the stories they heard of his miracles, and hopeful that he would bring blessings to God's people. But there were others who were skeptical or even hostile towards Jesus, and especially the way he was challenging the status quo. And so this week is kind of like part one of two. That this week we are thinking about the attraction to Jesus... And next week, we are thinking about the aversion to Jesus. So this week, attraction. Next week, aversion. And we're looking this morning at John chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles or the bulletins. Have it in front of you as we look at the Word of God this morning. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Again, this is... Roughly a week before Jesus would be crucified. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him... Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had they heard, heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks for your word. 
We thank You that we know Jesus through the Word. That You have faithfully preserved for us what You would have us know. That by Your Spirit, Your Word is powerful. And so God, I pray that not because of me, not because of any good in me or any wrong in me, Lord, may Your Word simply go forth in Your power by the Spirit today. And I pray that You would give us ears to hear Ears to hear and open hearts and minds to receive your word today, that your word would fall on us like seeds on fertile soil, and that those seeds would grow as you work in us by the power of your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would be glorified and Christ might be known and adored more through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, in kind of part one, we are thinking about how people are attracted to Jesus. Not physically, but attracted to who Jesus is, what he was able to do, that he held an appeal to people. And since we know that people are drawn to Jesus, that the Father draws people, pulls them, in a sense, to Jesus... We should be prepared that people are going to be attracted to Jesus. They are going to seek out Jesus. And if that's the case, we as God's people need to be able to lead them to Jesus rightly. Make it so that they can know Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to see in our passage how people can be attracted to Jesus' power the blessings He provides, as well as His truth. And we see that here this morning. I want to start by looking at Lazarus. Now, as a reminder, if you've not been here for a few weeks, Lazarus was one of Jesus' friends. He got very sick and he ended up dying. But on the fourth day, Jesus came. He opened up Lazarus' tomb and told him to come on out. And Lazarus was raised from the dead. Last week, we saw that sometime after Jesus performed this miracle, he was back where he performed it, and people threw a dinner in his honor. And so this dinner was in a town of Bethany, about two miles away from Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, people were already gathering for the Passover that was coming up in a week. And when those people heard that Jesus was nearby in Bethany, they went to go meet him. They wanted to see this Jesus they had heard so much about. But that's not all. They wanted to see Lazarus as well. That's what we're told. They wanted to see the man that Jesus raised from the dead. Because it's one thing to say Jesus can raise the dead. It's a very different thing to say Jesus raised that guy from the dead. Right there. Yeah, him. He's the one. See, Lazarus was a living and breathing, walking and talking piece of evidence to the power of Jesus. I can't imagine how strange it was for Lazarus to have people just come up to you and ask the same questions every time. Hey, is it true? Like, did he raise you from the dead? You were really dead and he did that? And you're just kind of like, yeah, that was me. And then they look around at like his sisters, Martha and Mary, and other people who were there. And they're all like, yep, we saw it. 
confirming that the unbelievable had actually happened. That they, understandably like we would, couldn't believe it was true. And so what did they do? They went to go see, was it true? To ask people, did this really happen? And they all were like, yeah, this really happened. So it was no wonder that the Jewish leaders who wanted to kill Jesus were also like, all right, we got to take Lazarus out too. Like Lazarus has got to go. We need to destroy this piece of evidence. And it doesn't matter that he's a person. He's got to be destroyed. That his story was too powerful to let it keep getting shared. Because we read in verse 11, on accounts of him, Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing if it could be said about us as well? That on accounts of us, many people were going and believing in Jesus. That would be awesome. But, you know, we're not Lazarus. We're not living examples of God's life-changing power to raise the dead. Or are we? On the sermon outline in your bulletin, I've included what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says this about believers in Jesus. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, God made us alive together with Christ. And raised us up with him. That all who believe in Jesus have experienced the life-changing power of Jesus. He has given us new spiritual life in Christ. And his resurrection power flows through us by the Holy Spirit. See, Lazarus, in order to give evidence of God's power, he just had to like be. Just be there. I'm alive. Look at me. That's what I did. Yeah, Jesus made me alive again. For us, it's a little more work. I'm sorry. That for us to give evidence of Christ's life-changing power, we display the fruit of the Spirit. We reflect an internal change that is only possible by the power of God. A kind of internal change that is attractive and appealing to people. When people see that we are more patient more loving, more self-controlled and selfless. They see that we have joy and peace even in difficult and horrible circumstances. So are we living evidence of Jesus' power? Are people seeing Jesus' life-changing power in you because of the way that He has changed your life? Notice we're not told that Lazarus was like a dynamic speaker or an insightful evangelist. He might have been, but we're not told that. We are not told much of anything other than he gave evidence of how Jesus powerfully changed him. Wouldn't it be remarkable if Christ's power was so evident in us that people wanted to believe in Jesus because of that? that people who are attracted to Jesus might see in us the character of Christ that can only come through us by His power. Wouldn't that be something? 
It's one way we can see that we can draw people to Jesus and people drawn to Jesus might find him is through his power working in us. And so people can be drawn to Jesus through his life-changing power, but a second way people are attracted to Jesus is through the blessings that people believe he can bring them. We see this in the crowd on what we refer to as Palm Sunday, that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem and many people from Bethany are walking with him and others from Jerusalem are coming out of the city to welcome him and then walk in with him. They are all excited that Jesus is finally, after months away, coming back to the holy city. And he is coming back to Jerusalem with full knowledge that the religious leaders, the people in charge, are planning to kill him. It is an open secret. He is a wanted man that will be killed. And yet here he comes into Jerusalem. The crowds can sense there is this confrontation building and they're hoping Jesus is going to make his move. And so they come out and they're waving palm branches, which acted like a symbol of Israel, almost like if we would wave the American flag or something like, here is the one. They are shouting praises and support of Jesus. They want him to restore the kingdom of Israel to its rightful glory among the nations. This crowd had hopes and expectations that Jesus would be the one to bring these blessings. That it had been nearly 600 years since a Jewish king sat on the throne of Jerusalem. It had been nearly 600 years since Israel could truly have been said to be free and independent. And in those 600 years, they had been taken captive by the Babylonians, ruled by the Persians, conquered by the Greeks, subdued by the Romans. And the days of Moses and David seemed like fairy tales. They longed for this promised Messiah to come and right the wrongs and restore Israel. They were attracted to the idea that Jesus is going to be the guy to bring these blessings. And guess what? They were right. Jesus is the guy who is going to bring these blessings. They were just wrong about how he was going to bring these blessings. And so Jesus hearing the shouts of Hosanna, seeing the palm branches everywhere, intentionally discourages their wrong hopes by finding a young donkey and riding into town on it. He is fulfilling our Old Testament reading from Zechariah 9. He is trying to convey that he is not a conqueror He is a humble, gentle king who comes in peace. Jesus could have ridden a war horse with armor and a sword at his side, surrounded by an army, showing, I'm here to take charge by force if necessary. Jesus came just just slowly along this little donkey. It's probably like, man, I'm glad you're not that heavy, you know? Just putzing along. Here he goes into town. He wanted them to know I come in peace. 
But he also doesn't tell them, stop shouting. He doesn't tell them, clean up these palm branches. What are you doing? Come on, guys. This is, oh, this is over the top. He doesn't do that. He doesn't dampen their excitement so much as guide it the right direction. The crowds were correct to be excited that Jesus was the Messiah. They just didn't understand how he would fulfill those promises. And the crowds weren't the only ones. John tells us the disciples didn't understand why he was riding in on a donkey until after he rose from the dead. And so this passage helps us to better understand how we can commend and critique people who are attracted by the idea of what Jesus can do for them. Because there are a lot of people in the world who look to Jesus for blessings and benefits. That you can look to Jesus as the one you pray to to heal you of your disease. You pray to for comfort when you're suffering. For guidance when you don't know what to do. For better circumstances when you're facing hardship. Some look to Jesus for forgiveness because of the guilt they feel for what they have done. Some look to Jesus for hope of life after death because the idea of the end is scary. Some look to Jesus for a system of morals where we love one another. Others look for a system of justice where hypocrisy can be exposed. We should encourage people who look to Jesus for blessings. But we must also clearly communicate how we receive those blessings and how Christ brings them. See, too often people are attracted to only some of the blessings Jesus brings. The crowds in Jerusalem wanted a revolutionary leader who would overthrow the Romans. I don't think they wanted someone who would call them to repent of their own sins. They wanted someone who was wise and good, who would lead them. But I'm not sure they really wanted someone who would command their obedience. So are we able to clearly communicate the blessings of knowing Jesus to those who are attracted to Him? Are we able to tell people about the joy and peace that Christ gives us even in the midst of our own suffering? Are we able to tell them of the blessing of forgiveness, but also the repentance needed for our sins? Are we able to tell people of the blessing of being part of a local church family while also acknowledging this family has only sinners in it, many of whom can and might hurt you or disappoint you? Are we, like Jesus, able to gently redirect people's enthusiasm so they can rightly receive the blessings He does bring? Many are looking for blessings from Jesus. Can we point them in the right way? Jesus did. So people are attracted to the power that Jesus can work in our lives. They are attracted to the blessings He can bring. But some people in this passage are simply just intrigued by the very idea of Jesus. And so the Pharisees are moaning like the world has gone after him. And it kind of has, because the next thing we read is that some Greek people 
show up and approach Philip the disciple and they want to see Jesus. And they say it in such beautiful words. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I mean, if that doesn't get you going, I don't know what does. That's got to be music to your ears. There, I hope there is some patch of skin that has goosebumps on you hearing, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. It is so exciting when someone is interested in learning more about Jesus. And we see in this passage, it is often the people we least expect to be interested in Jesus. Because the people who approach Philip are not Jewish. They are Greeks. They are what we call Gentiles. They are not people you would expect to be interested in a Jewish Messiah at Passover. And yet it shows us the appeal of Jesus is cross-cultural. It has spread throughout the world for the last 2,000 years. And many of the least likely people and least expected people are the ones who come to believe in Jesus. And it's so cool when it happens. But will it actually happen to us? Like, it's a really neat story to read in here. But why would anyone come to us to see Jesus? We got Google for that, right? Just Jesus, enter. And you can learn about it. So why, wouldn't, why would someone come to us? It's a great question. Why would anyone come to you to meet Jesus? See, the Greeks went to Philip because he was a disciple of Jesus. It was known he was a disciple of Jesus. And he was part of this crowd that continued to bear witness about what Jesus had done through Lazarus. And so we see a collection of disciples of Jesus who continue to bear witness about the great things he has done. That sounds an awful lot like a church. A collection of disciples who continue to bear witness about Jesus. A local church should be a place where people can come to meet Jesus. Yes, we as a church can and should help parents wisely raise their children in a very confusing age. Yes, we can and should help couples going through marital difficulties. We can and should pray for the sick and the suffering in our community. We can and should give to the poor and the needy around us. We can and should decorate for Christmas and have fun together as a family. But more than all of that, we need to be a place that bears witness to Jesus Christ. We need to realize that we live in a country where more and more people every day are growing up with no knowledge of Jesus. None. I remember the very first time I met someone who literally knew nothing about Jesus. It was 13 years ago. It was in Starbucks. And just she had never heard of him. And I was shocked. I, I didn't even know what to say. Like, that can happen. You just, you can't, you, you've never, you don't know anything. You've never heard of him before at all. 
More and more people are out there like that. And the church needs to be a place where people can meet Jesus. But, as our kids here in this church will tell you, the church is not just a building. It is not just a place. It's a people. And so we need to be a people that can help others meet Jesus. And so, if someone came up to you and said, I wish to see Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. How would you respond? How would you help them meet Jesus? Would you make a poster board? Probably not. You see, I know many, if not all of us in this room, are praying fervently for people who do not know Jesus to come to know Jesus. They may be specific people or it may be people in general. It may be all of it. That we are praying that God would help people to know Jesus. Well, in those prayers, we also need to prepare that we might be the ones that God is going to use to help people meet Jesus. That we might be the ones that end up like Philip going, all right, there's Jesus. And that's scary to a lot of us. And so in adult Sunday school in January, we are going to go through some strategies for telling people about Jesus. You may remember last month, our presbytery hosted a training event. We had like nine or ten people from our church that went and we would like to help equip the church to tell people about Jesus. And so I invite you to come and learn some simple tips for just how do you introduce someone to Jesus? I'm really bad at poster boards. That's not my style. Okay, well then, what can we do to introduce someone to Jesus? It's not as simple as it was for Philip where all he had to do was go right this way and just hand them off. That's not how we can do it. How are we going to help people to know Jesus? But perhaps this morning you are here and you don't know Jesus. You've heard me or others talk about Him, but you don't know Him. Maybe you've been here a lot, and you've been hearing me for weeks and months, and you're like, you talk about that guy a lot, but I don't know who you're talking about. Let me tell you about him. We celebrate this Christmas stuff because of Jesus. We celebrate His birth, but He was no ordinary cute baby. He's the eternal Son of God who was humbly sent by God the Father on a very important mission. He came not simply to be a good teacher, though He was. He came not simply to help and to heal hurting people, though He did. He came not simply to expose hypocrisy and injustice, though He did that as well. Jesus came to be a king. And he did not come to fight our earthly enemies like the Romans. He came to battle different enemies, the enemies of sin and death. And in order to defeat sin in battle, Jesus had to live a perfect life without sin. And then he had to die for us in our place. So that in his death, he can forgive our sins because the punishment our sins deserve is now fully paid. They need to be paid no more. His sacrificial death covers our sins and we are forgiven. And he wasn't done fighting enemies after that. Then he fought death by dying and rising again from the dead saying, try it again. It's over. 
I beat you death. That Lazarus miracle, that was no fluke. I'm no fraud. Death's got no claim on me. And as a king, Jesus has a people and he shares his victory with his people saying, share. I have conquered your enemies and secured the blessings of this victory. And they are for you who trust in me, who see that I am the one who came to defeat the greatest enemies you have and to give you the most desired blessings of joy, of peace, of unconditional love, of eternal life. That's my Jesus. What what good news is more appealing than that? What kind of king is more attractive than that king who comes to a broken people in a fallen world and says, I will defeat your enemies? No one is better than Jesus. And there are many in the world seeking Him out, attracted to Him, which is why we continue to bear witness and sing His praises. It is why we are ready to tell others about Jesus that they might come to know and experience His life-changing power just as we have. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You. We have good news to tell. We thank You that we do not have a long list of tasks for people to complete. That we do not have lengthy texts that they have to study and memorize. That we do not have physical challenges or anything crazy like that that people have to complete in order to know the blessings of Christ. All all we've got is a wonderful gift. Christmas gift. And we pray, O Lord, that You would prepare us to be ready with that gift to share with others. And we pray that they would be ready and willing to receive it and to know Jesus Christ. So God, help us to treasure that gift and to enjoy that gift ourselves and to delight in the victory you give us and to seek and to pray for your power to shine through our lives that Christ might be known. In his name we pray. Amen.